You're listening to the Driving Net Profit with Zero Emissions podcast, a monthly show with best practice net zero stories of leading businesses responding to climate change. You're with award-winning author and 100% Renewables co-CEO, Barbara Albert. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Driving Net Profit with Zero Emissions podcast. I'm Barbara Albert, co-CEO of 100% Renewables, a consultancy specializing in the development of net zero strategies. This podcast episode is sponsored by Oz Industry, a Commonwealth Government program. Today's recording is based on a webinar I recently ran under this program to explain the fundamentals of net zero to Australian small and medium-sized businesses. Because there is so much content to cover, I've recorded two episodes and you're now listening to the second part. In the first part of this special recording, I discussed the first three topics on the agenda which centered around an introduction to carbon accounting, carbon scopes, how you can calculate your carbon footprint and how you can develop decarbonization and net zero pathways. In today's episode, I will discuss carbon offsetting, carbon farming and insetting, which are necessary ingredients for a net zero or carbon neutral strategy. You might be asking yourself what insetting is all about. Offset is a concept that's more readily understood while the concept of insetting is only just emerging. Insetting means that you are investing in projects that have a closer connection to your business, perhaps in your supply chain or through land that you or one of your partner organizations owns. It's a strategy and perhaps the missing link you have looked for if you want to support local projects that sequester carbon and enhance natural capital, such as planting trees. Insetting gives you more control and oversight, but it means more work and is costly as opposed to offsetting, which is simpler and done at arm's length. For instance, measuring and verifying the emissions saved by an insetting scheme may be more complex and there may not be an established methodology for this, or at least not yet. This can make it harder for insetting to pass an external audit process for generating carbon credits. This section is mostly relevant for companies that have large parcels of land. If you don't, then this section may still be relevant for you as you might partner with a large landholder or even just to learn about carbon farming and insetting. So carbon farming is about a change in your land management to either avoid the emissions of greenhouse gases from your activities or to change your activities to increase the storage of carbon in the land, either in trees or in soil. Activities within carbon farming fall into two broad groups, either emissions avoidance or sequestration, although some methods involve a bit of both. The key thing is that to earn Australian carbon credit units, you need to use a method that's registered and available for use under the Emissions Reduction Fund. For each tonne of carbon emissions you either avoid or store in vegetation or soil, you can get one Australian Carbon Credit Unit or Q under the Emissions Reduction Fund run by the Commonwealth Government. The Emissions Reduction Fund is Australia's current mechanism for trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions through a reverse auction scheme. So people bid in to say, we will reduce emissions or we will increase sequestration and the government will purchase carbon credits created by these approved methods. 
Lately, this has changed a lot as the government has opened this up more into the private sector. So a couple of examples of carbon farming methods are planting trees, which unlocks new opportunities for long-term storage of carbon emissions, such as storing carbon through restoring mangroves and tidal marshes or storing carbon in soil, reducing emissions from cattle and capturing and destroying the methane from effluent waste from piggeries. So carbon farming is still an evolving industry and you have to decide which method is most suitable for your circumstances. The number of accues you can get depends on your chosen method, where you are located, what has happened on your land in the past and time. So for instance, trees that are young absorb less carbon than more mature trees. If you're interested to see how many accus you could generate, you can use tools like Syro's Look-See, where you can draw a polygon around your land, answer a few questions, and get a sense of the amount of carbon credits you can earn through the approved methods. So we'll put those links in the show notes. Bear in mind though your future plans because accus are a financial instrument and you need to be very careful with what this means for you. So for instance, what happens if you sell your land? Or what happens if the trees you plant burn during a fire? So my advice is to seek advice from specialists in this area who can provide you with financial, legal and carbon farming expertise so you fully understand the implications for your business. So I previously mentioned the money you could get by selling the accus you generate either to the Commonwealth or on the secondary market. However, if you're located in Queensland or Western Australia, there might be additional opportunities through Queensland Land Restoration Fund and WA's Carbon Farming Land Restoration Program. These are programs uh, that provide additional financial incentives for carbon farming projects that demonstrate additional environmental and socio-economic co-benefits. So co-benefits may be private, they could be improved productivity or profitability or public, such as for instance, conservation outcomes or improved downstream water quality. Now, accus have been on a wild ride lately. They traded at the same level for so many years and then suddenly in the middle of 2021, the demand for accus rose sharply and the price went up to roughly $60 per accu. That's mostly driven by uh, companies purchasing accus to meet the net zero or carbon neutral goals, for instance. But then what happened was that the government changed some of the rules and allowed more private sector participation, which resulted in a dip in price. Now, a dip in price is great for people who are purchasing accus, but less ideal for people who want to create accus and need those funds for projects to be developed. Here are some avenues you could explore. Now, option one, you can participate in the carbon farming market and generate the accus and then sell them to generate additional income for your farm. And others then will use uh, the accus that you generate to offset their carbon footprint or large emitters will use them to meet their compliance obligations. Now, under option two, there is no point in selling all your carbon assets if you then have to buy a whole lot of carbon offsets back later on to reach your carbon reduction or carbon neutral targets. Under option two, you don't sell your accus, but instead use them against your own carbon footprint, which can make you a carbon neutral supplier. 
So JBS, for instance, has made a global commitment to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2040. And chances are, if you are a cattle producer wanting to sell through JBS, you may be under pressure to also become a carbon neutral supplier. Option three is an extension of option two. If you have a large number of ACUs, you can use some of them to eliminate your own carbon footprint, again, using the concept of insets and sell the rest will use these offsets against their own carbon footprint. And option four is something innovative. You can avoid the ACU processes altogether. You can measure your sequestration by following greenhouse gas protocol guidance. You would then count your generated insets towards your net zero or carbon neutral goal. This option is currently being tested by Climate Active. Coles recently launched a carbon neutral beef brand which used insetting to reduce the carbon footprint to zero. As opposed to going down the ACU path, insetting is going to be much more efficient and cheaper and will give you much more flexibility in the way that you manage your land. And one thing I'd like to add is that under the Science-Based Targets Initiative, you cannot use uh, forest land and agriculture abatement, uh, they call that FLAG for short, to meet non-FLAG abatement targets. So emissions reduction from agricultural activities in your supply chain cannot be used to meet facility or office emissions reduction targets. It's similar to not being allowed to use carbon offsets to meet a science-based target. So to wrap my own head around all the options that are available to large landholders, my team and I have created a flowchart. So if you're listening to this podcast and want to have a look at the graphic, please head to our webpage at www.100percentrenewables.com and navigate to episode 13 of the Driving the Profit with Zero Emissions podcast. And then you can download the graphic from there. Basically, there are two options, one fork. You can either create ACUs or you can decide to go down an insetting pathway without generating ACUs. Let's have a look at the ACU path first. You can either sell the ACUs and earn additional money or you can retire the ACUs to meet your carbon reduction, carbon neutrality, or net zero target. If you sell ACUs, you can either sell right away or hang on to them and sell them later if you expect a higher price in future. If you're retiring ACUs and you have more ACUs than what, what are needed to achieve carbon neutrality, you can even achieve a climate positive goal. You can always sell any excess credits you have. So use as many ACUs as you need to meet your own goal first and then sell the rest. However, you can also choose not to go through the complicated processes of generating ACUs and instead use guidance from the greenhouse gas protocol to establish your carbon baseline. So to see what your, carbon, uh, what your current carbon stock is and then to project sequestration over time as you develop projects that work on avoiding or storing emissions. The Greenhouse Gas Protocol is currently piloting their guidance and we can expect the official guidance to be released either later this year or possibly in early 2023. In any case, it's exciting to see that Climate Active is currently trialing this approach as mentioned previously. So what I'm saying here is that you have many options available to you and you don't need to feel pressured to go down one pathway or, or another. My recommendation is to carefully think through all your options and to decide on the option which meets the goals that you have set yourself and that fit in with your circumstances. 
So now that we've discussed carbon farming and insetting, let's have a look at purchasing carbon offsets. Carbon offsets can be used to compensate for emissions you cannot reduce and to bring your carbon footprint down to zero. It's the last resort to get to a carbon neutral position after you have exhausted all other measures. Carbon offsets are an acceptable way under both Climate Active and TOI2, which is the New Zealand scheme for achieving carbon neutrality, also accepted worldwide, to reach carbon neutrality. So one carbon offset is issued for each tonne of emissions that are either avoided or removed from the atmosphere. Now, it's super important that carbon offset projects are credible. There are accreditation standards that ensure that carbon offset projects are implemented, run and managed properly, and that the credits represent real and actual emissions either sequestered or avoided. So in my opinion, it doesn't make sense to go carbon neutral and purchase carbon offsets that might be dodgy. The whole purpose of achieving carbon neutrality is that you want to prove to the marketplace that you care about the environment and that you're taking a stand against climate change. You don't want to open yourself up to reputational damage. So pay a lot of attention to carbon offset projects that you are buying. We often run requests for quotes on behalf of our clients to ensure they get the right price for the offsets they buy and to ensure that they are buying carbon credits that meet certain standards, uh, the company's objective and that are the reput reputational risk. And for our clients that are achieving Climate Active or TOI2 certification, we also make sure that the carbon offsets meet those standards. So here are a couple of criticisms that some carbon offset projects have received. Westpac got into a lot of trouble because it supported a carbon reduction project um, at a menthol factory, which produced menthol for a tobacco factory. And Professor Andrew McIntosh, the former chair of the Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee, criticized that 70 to 80% of ACUs are low in integrity and do not represent additional abatements, so the focus being here on additional. He says that the Emissions Reduction Fund scheme is dominated by three types of projects, being avoided deforestation in western New South Wales, human-induced regeneration of native forests in the dry rangelands of Queensland, New South Wales, Western Australia, South Australia and the Northern Territory, and the combustion of methane from landfills. These three projects account for about 75% of all ACUs issued. And Professor McIntosh says that data, his, his data, his research suggests that 70 to 80% of the ACUs issued to these projects did not represent real and additional abatement. So having heard the criticism of, uh, of carbon offset projects, what should you be looking out for? So here's my advice. Make sure that the carbon project is additional. Additionality is such an important concept. Evaluating whether a carbon credit is additional though is, is difficult. Additionality can also change over time. For example, the declining cost of cleaner technologies and increasing coverage of carbon prices makes it more likely that renewable energy projects, for instance, will be pursued, even if they do not generate carbon offset credits. So BHP, for instance, avoids investing in carbon offsets from projects where additionality has or may soon become questionable. Second point, it has to be accurate and you want to avoid uh, overestimation. So being accurate means that you're making sure that the baseline is not overestimated, that actual emissions are not underestimated. 
and that the project does not fail to account for the indirect effects of a project on greenhouse gas emissions. So for instance, a forest preservation project that avoids the emission caused by clearing one parcel of forest area, but ends up shifting the production of timber through deforestation to another area. Carbon offset projects should also be permanent. So making sure that emissions won't be released back into the atmosphere, for instance, if a forest is damaged by fire. Carbon offsets should definitely also be real. Although it's rare, it's possible that offset credits uh, may be issued for greenhouse gas reductions that a project developer expects to achieve in the future. So such forward crediting is usually problematic because it can lead to an over-issuance of offset credits. And if a project fails to perform as expected, it can pose issues. So for instance, future events, it can also pose issues if, if, if future events such as regulatory changes lead to additionality or emissions reduction ownership concerns. And carbon offset projects should definitely be verified. And so if they adhere to standards such as, for instance, the, the gold uh, standard, then you can rest assured that the project is meeting a certain standard and has been verified by a third party. There should also be no double counting. So not double counting means that no two parties claim this, the same emissions reduction. And the carbon offset project should also not be associated with significant social or environmental harm. See my Westpac example earlier. Another example would be large-scale hydro projects which flood large areas of land and could potentially displace some um, people and animals. Once you have purchased carbon offsets and make sure that you purchase good carbon offsets from a good reputable broker, you need to make sure that the offsets are cancelled because if they're not cancelled, you could potentially sell them on. So they have to be taken off the registry, retired, so that they can't be unsold anymore. And best for that to get done through an official credit register, which ensures uh, that the retirement has actually happened. So retirement means cancellation of a carbon offset and only through cancellation, only through the retirement can you claim the carbon uh, avoidance or the sequestering. Offsets can offer many other benefits in addition to the carbon benefits. So they're often called co-benefits, although we're seeing a shift from co-benefits to core benefits. So one instance of a co-benefit is economic. Economic benefits occur when income from the sale of offset credits flows to the community where a project is located and often translates into employment and community support or improved infrastructure or a technology transfer and increased economic activity. Environmental benefits include increased biodiversity, maintaining habitat for native animal and plant species, improved local air and water quality, avoiding vegetation clearance, re-establishing vegetation on previously cleared areas and improved environmental management. Social and cultural benefits are the positive aspects for communities where a project is based, such as employment for local people or living and working on country capacity building, improved health and education, and access to clean and affordable energy. My recommendation is to support projects that align with your corporate values. You can look for projects that help people and communities, conserve natural resources, or support the move from conventional to renewable energy.
Now here you can see credible standards that are accepted under, for instance, the Climate Active st Standard. So check whether the carbon offset projects you are buying meet those standards. The most important ones for you are probably ACUS, um, so Australian Carbon Credit Units here in Australia, or VE issued by the gold standard, and VCU. So these would be the most important offsets. So here are some examples of carbon offset projects. Examples could be savannah burning, could be forestry projects, or a biogas digester, or methane offset and reduction projects, or renewable energy projects, or energy efficiency projects, or like I mentioned before, Australian carbon offset projects. This wraps up part two of my special podcast recording on the fundamentals of net zero for Australian small and medium-sized enterprises. Today we've learned about offsetting, carbon farming and insetting. Please don't forget that if you want to find out more about how you generate emissions, how you calculate a carbon footprint, what emissions reduction opportunities you have and how you can construct a pathway to net zero or carbon neutrality, you can listen to episode 12, which is part one of this special recording. I hope you've been able to take away some valuable information about what net zero means for your business and how you can grab the opportunities that decarbonisation and net zero emissions provide. As always, if you know another person who you think will enjoy this podcast, please let them know so that more people can hear about best practice stories of how organisations are moving to net zero emissions. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope to see you in the next episode. As always, you can find more information in the show notes of this podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please rate and review it on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you on our next show.